if it helps, I do need to buy some new, um, some more gym leggings. So we could go to I don't want your shop. old gym leggings. No, I'm not giving you mine. All I right. just need another pair because mine are a bit ruined. Yeah. Because I've only got shorts. you pooed in them. No. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, no. Anyway, hello and welcome to the fifth series. Fifth? Yeah. Nice. Of Museums and That. With each episode, we have a chinwag and serve you the steaming hot tea. Guys, Carmen's here. Carmen's here. Do you remember Carmen from Series 4? Carmen's here. Hi, Carmen. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Megan. Yay. Oh, of course you can, my love. You can have whatever you want. But specifically the keys that she's asked keys, for. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Can I throw them? I don't love you. Go on. Hey. With each episode, we have a chinwag and serve you the steaming hot tea on the things that museum people love the most. We're your hosts, Meg and Sarah from Leeds Museums and Galleries. And we get to know the people behind the objects by asking them the questions that you really want to know. I feel a bit self-conscious about my accent now. Because you can't say A-up. A-up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most forced A-up I've ever heard. I've just not got a very good... I think sometimes... I say things that are really leads, like leads. But then other times I catch myself saying things that I'm just like, oh, for God's sake. Anyway, this episode. It's a hometown special. Yeah, this Meg. is a hometown special. This is my hometown special. So it's quite all right that you can't crack the northern accent because it's literally a Reading episode. Yeah, I know. You're the odd one out. That's fine. Actually, no, Joe's, no, from, Joe's Midlands. from the Midlands. So. <laughs> Shout out to Grantham. Yeah. Wait, before we get into all that, go on quickly. How's my week been? Yeah. Wait, hang on. No, not your week. How's your couple of months been what have you done give me one good thing oh god that's a lot of pressure went camping it was really nice we went to northumberland it was lovely great we're recording this in hindsight by the way yeah so annoyingly the day we actually went to reading was horrendously hot yeah march basically we've had a we had a time didn't we i was half dead it was so so dead i hadn't slept for like two days i had to apologize so basically just this episode our special guest this episode is joe vaughan who's the digital editor for our museum's partnership reading so that means reading museum and the museum of english rural life Mm -hmm. sweet little joe yeah i love joe but he did a whistle-stop tour of Reading for us, which was enlightening not only to me, but you as a native <laughs> Reddinger. I left Reading thinking, wow, I literally really like Reading. Yeah. And I told all of my friends, I was like, guys, Reading's actually really good. And they were like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we went to see an Abbey. Joe got stung by a bee. Um, we had <laughs> which some sandwiches. Which shouldn't be funny, but it was funny. In fact, that's my best thing from the far- past few months. So the best thing from your past few months was a sandwich. Bread. Yeah, butter, cheddar, then like some sort of oniony, chivey situation. Oh, right. And then crisps, and then marmite mayo <laughs> in a sandwich. Unbelievable. And as I was holding the sandwich, walking through Reading, someone that I know from back home, shout out to Archie for listening, was like, Meg, it's you. And I bumped into him and I felt really cool. <laughs> yeah. You guys were walking along. I was like, oh, sorry, guys. Just. Uh, someone that I know you you looked really cool in the situation and definitely not a flappy mess yeah no I was sweating and then just before we recorded we ate our delicious sandwiches sat outside in the garden which is just like a beautiful community garden at the Museum of English Rural Life and then Joe was like hey these <laughs> oh yeah I just remembered these are our chickens they've got like chickens do you remember what they were called um <laughs> do you know what no um because they were ridiculous names I this is what I was after. and no one actually knew what their names were <laughs> No, they're called Pook and Nuke. Oh yeah, Pook and Nuke. Pook and Nuke. <laughs> I don't know that anyone does understand why. Oh god, it's really funny. That really moves. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But they are fancy chickens. Really fancy. Anyway, right, so what are we expecting from this episode? You should expect chat about Reading and museums and social medias. And like viral social media as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Museum of English yeah. Rural Life especially is probably the most popular Mm -hmm. like museum social media account isn't it so finding out a little bit more about that really especially since they are a a very small regional museum what i will say is when i was editing this episode it was a quiet office like really silent and i just had my headphones on and i was like no other word for it but sniggering (laughs) because i just found it really funny because joe just really had us laughing about glass yeah yeah Yeah, it was ridiculous so do enjoy that i think this is a really good kick off to the series take it away joe yeah enjoy everyone um joe vaughan's episode of museums and that 
I think one thing that I find quite funny is being from the like Midlands, I feel like my accent can either go quite... I've got like this Midlands lilt, but actually on a lot of occasions, sometimes in meetings, I have I almost put on this like Southern Southern voice, which I don't mean to be. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Your Reading voice. Wait, you so just do it then? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What are you... <laughs> Where are you going to be from for this? I don't know. I was actually thinking maybe like more like Australia. <laughs> just... <laughs> Wild. God. That is Crikey. super. That is super rare. Kangaroo. <laughs> This is all staying in. There's yeah. a wallaby just hopping in. Joe Vaughan off of the Merle and Reading Museum. Also, um, we're going to say the Merle quite a lot today, but that is the Museum of English Royal Life, just for anyone wondering. Joe, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> um, Joe, sorry, please, would you be able to tell our listeners who the flip you are? Okay, yeah. So my name is Joe. Um, I'm the digital editor for Museums Partnership Reading, um, which is an Arts Council funded partnership of. Uh, the Merle, which is the Museum of English Royal Life and Reading Museum. So for both museums, I basically manage all of the digital content. So um, social media, website editing, uh, kind of museum specific digital content. So like online collections, um, categories and things like that. So I wear lots of hats, which is true of lots of people in museums, actually. But yeah, that's kind of a basic intro. And do you actually wear lots of hats? Well, I'm actually wearing lots of hats right now, Megan. I'm a bit insulted you've not noticed. All of these hats I've been wearing for the whole blooming day. You know, you get those people, there's that beam of like three children in a trench coat. Well, I'm actually just lots of hats in a trench coat. And an extremely, extremely small man right at the bottom. Oh, God. Right. Um, okay, so we were just we were just talking about crisps. Um, and I don't know how much of that's going to stay in. But the next question that we have for you that we ask everyone is... What's your background and like how did you get into your role? Yeah, so I've always wanted to work in a job involving writing um, and creativity. So I studied English literature at university. I did a creative writing master's degree, both at the University of Sheffield. And like, I, it's just really strange to me. Like I studied poetry writing with Simon Armitage um, for did my you? master's. Yeah, I did. And um, what's he like? He's, he's very interesting. I used to have his email <laughs> and I used to email him, which was just very strange, like a strange part of, yeah. And um like he actually marked my dissertation and he basically he it was just really strange because I got a really high mark like I don't blow my trumpet very much but I will blow it at this one point um (laughs) I did really really well at my master's and he said that what he'd just read it wasn't poetry but it wasn't not poetry and I was like well that is high praise from from the master that in itself is poetry isn't it it really is. Well, it's poetry all the way down with that man. And that's, that's something I learned. But um, yeah, so after that, I uh, had probably the most offline and uncreative job possible. And not, not uncreative, but I, um, I worked in a lawyer's writing wills. I've seen it talked, talked about quite a bit on social media where people say, like, how do people get into museums? And for me, it was like, I wrote some poems for Simon Armitage and then I wrote loads of wills. Um, <laughs> but I did write lots of letters and stuff too. So yeah. yeah, I went from that and then I worked in marketing for two and a half years, which was, I, I learned a lot. And a big part of that was like social media management. Yeah. So after that, I, the Museum's Partnership Reading digital editor job was open. So yeah, I, I just applied for that and was very grateful to get it. And that was summer 2019. But that was an interesting time for you to join because the accounts that you run pretty well established by then right yeah they were so um the museum of english for all life twitter account in particular was really famous i think it probably for, for a long time it had been being developed um and building up to this but it had quite a few viral moments um quite successively and when i came into the organization it was you know a massive viral twitter account so yeah there, there was quite a lot of expectation and and in many ways they were they were quite big boots to to fill i think but i like relish the the challenge of it so yeah when I saw that job coming up it was like gosh I wonder who's gonna get that and how that's gonna how that's gonna work and I don't know we, we don't have to talk about it too much but like if you don't want to but how did you cope with the pressure was it or did you feel like there was pressure yeah I think uh when I came into the role I was very mindful of like all the amazing work that had been happening at the account and I think from working in marketing I had a kind of a real sense that the Merle was doing what a lot of the very influential and very high performing American brands were doing. It was very engagement focused. It was very much, you know, this kind of meme related approach to social media where it was really making the most of the platform as a, as a kind of engagement platform. You know, it wasn't 
putting things out and not responding. Like I kind of thought that the the major success of the account was the fact that it was so responsive and it was such a like, yeah, it was just doing something really special with social media. And I think in my interview, I really highlighted that. Like I, you know, was very aware of what they were doing. And I think by understanding it, I felt, I, I felt like I could do a good job at, um, you know, picking, taking up the reins as it were. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I felt pressure coming into it because, and, and the work, work were, were very, very good in removing that pressure too. The, the viral, the viral successes the museum had, I think they were aware that there are things you cannot predict Yeah. and a huge part of social media is unpredictability. So there was never a sense like, you know, you have to come into this role, you have to go viral regularly. It was more just like, you know, be you, do a good job, meeting the museum's goals effectively. Mm. So, a lot of that pressure was taken off and yeah, I just thought, you know, I'll come in and, and, and be creative and, and enjoy it really. I feel like it's interesting that you mentioned that, sorry, I literally, you haven't spoken at all. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. It's interesting that you said about like likening the accounts to like the American restaurants and fast food chains and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I feel like that's what the Merle particularly like did and still does kind of it sort of sits within the realm of like the internet and internet culture rather than what a lot of museums, social media accounts do, which is to just be within the realm of the museum sector. And I think, I don't know, I I feel like in my head, I always attribute that to its success as well. The fact that you are able to kind of see the bigger picture of like internet culture and you get really nicely into that. No, that's very kind. I I think so too. Um, I, I do, I do think that perhaps, you know, I, I could see definitely what, what like my predecessor, Adam Kazari, like, I understood what he was doing and I felt that by doing that and understanding kind of his influences as well as like having a slightly different but similar sense of humor and like sense of creativity that yeah. I could come in and you know pick up really where he left off. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think you're right and one thing especially with with the museum social media is that it's interesting with the big brands because I feel like you know they're all trying to be your friend and be funny. But ultimately they're selling you hamburgers or they're selling you chicken nuggets or whatever, which is fine. And, you know, it becomes more sinister where you have like the US Army appearing in people's Twitch streams, like chatting with them. Um, you know, there is a much more sinister side to this kind of engagement based marketing. Um, but obviously we're a museum. We have no intentions other than, you know, trying to like promote the collections of our free to visit museum. So yeah. I kind of felt immediately there was something very like Wholesome is maybe the wrong word and it's a word that gets used a lot, but it was a very kind of like well-meaning account to work for. Mm. So, you know, there's something really nice about that. And, you know, that we're not, we're not engaging people for something that is, I don't know, like ethically dubious or whatever. It's like an ethically meaningful place to work. Yeah. You're looking at me because you want, you're happy for me to talk now. Well, no, because I feel like I could literally just talk directly to Joe for a really long time. So you need to butt in. Yeah. All right. Well, then kind of on the back of that, well, yours and Meg's roles are, basically the same very similar um and in terms of skill sets I find that it's a really interesting one because you have to be you do have to be a good writer um and I and I think that that is what the difference is as well between channels that are doing it really well versus the ones that are maybe just trying to jump on the back of it but actually it's a bit misguided um and I kind of I was interested to know what you thought like particular skills were needed in order to do a job like that I think writing skill hugely i think there's few jobs that have such a demand on like economy of language you know the ability to reduce and i quite i actually something that the the kind of like problem solving sometimes dysfunctional part of my brain really relishes about this work is you know taking really complex information and reducing it to 280 characters yeah um i find that really interesting and that's that's a very unusual challenge but i think it is one that that people sometimes overlook. I think, I think there is a sense with social media management and this is not me with like a, like a chip on my shoulder or anything, but you, I mean, I have so many hats, so many chips on my shoulders, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Things on my fingers. Um, But uh, there is a massive sense with social media and social media managers that you're either a kind of full team of professional people with MacBooks or you're an intern. And I don't know. I think there is a very specific set of skills required like one is writing but two is just it's really weird to say but like almost intuition the ability to like read read the room and respond meaningfully and sympathetically on what's a very difficult platform like the 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 kind of devil's barter i think with social media with good social media 
is that it responds to audiences and it's not just speaking into the void. You're listening to the void and you're, you know, conversing back. But that means that you also have to take... Is that being picked up by the mic? It is, yeah. That's so annoying, but... Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) The building work I arranged. (laughs) Please apologise on behalf of someone we don't even know. Speak for yourself. That's my very good mate, Barry, banging away. (laughs) Barry banging. Barry the banger, yeah. (laughs) Barry's banger rally. I can't remember what I was talking... Oh, yeah, set skills and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a nice end of the room, isn't it? Lovely view. (laughs) Lovely view of the window. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the the kind of... the, the deal you make with the devil with social media is that a big part of it is about listening to um, your community and, and what they're doing and, you know, responding to that. So all of the kind of pop culture references and things like that. But equally, I feel like when that pop culture, when that kind of social world is going through problems, you have to respond to those too. And you have to know how to respond to those with quite a lot of sensitivity, which is demanded of you, I think, much more than in many other roles. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I feel like we talked about this quite a lot in uh, like during lockdown because and I've said this like in, in talks and stuff. I've humble brag. <laughs> talks <about it>. um, <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> um, it's that idea of what are we doing and what are we doing to make sure that we're putting the audience first with social media. And during lockdown, especially there was this kind of up, like, uptake in museums talking to each other, Yes, which is a really useful thing to do and it's like nice to be able to kind of interact with each other for your audiences and kind of have a bit of crossover but then for us it got to the point where I found that quite hard to make sure that those interactions were interesting for audiences too and like with the audience in mind um because it became more like a museums talking to museums thing for the sake I of I think it. so too yeah I think um I think there's definitely room for that and and I know there are sometimes when people that follow us see us talking to other museums and they think, you know, this is so, I mean, in some level, it's just existentially strange, you know, as if two museums walked into a pub and just yeah, were chatting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think as well, like something we, we have here, at, both at the Merle and, and at Ready Museum, really is just a sense that our digital, our digital content and platforms do exist for our audience and thinking about how we can make sure that we're serving them first and foremost, you know, and doing that in a way that also complements our own mission. So, you know, sharing the work of the museum, sharing our collections and things like that. And I think there's definitely room for that more um, gimmicky, just joking between museums. But, you know, there are a lot of people also in the room with you. And I think, yeah, you you definitely have to be mindful of that. Yeah. In terms of like content that you've posted, what's the favorite, your favorite story that you've ever, you've ever written and told? It's very tricky because I, I mean, it is like a story writing job. I feel like I write so much, but um, probably one of the, the, one of my favorite things that we did um, was like the first week of the lockdown was when Animal Crossing came out and we, um, I was having breakfast with my housemate actually. And obviously we were all working from home, et cetera. My housemate also used to work for the Merle, shout out to Ted. And uh, <laughs> he, you know, we were both playing Animal Crossing and he said to me, did you know you can make clothes on Animal Crossing? And it wasn't a kind of like, and nothing to do with work. We were just chatting about it. And then I thought like, oh, well, if you can do that, then, you know, we have this heritage smock collection. We have loads of clothes in our collection. So we've got this audience at home looking for things to do in this like extremely difficult moment of the pandemic. Like what if we ask them to like, you know, engage with our collection on this video game and make their own smocks. So I uh, messaged my line manager and said like, you know, look for the next half an hour, I'm going to be playing Animal Crossing on company time. Um, but it is, you know, for a very specific strategic reason. Um, and then, yeah, we did that and we received hundreds of smocks from people from all over the world. And it was just, um, I mean, it's really interesting the word story because I think this was a story that had many different contributors. You know, it was, and, and in terms of a thread as well, you know, the fabric of the thread was the contribution from lots of different people, which in some ways is is what's so amazing about social media that you can do this. But, you know, we had entries from people from all over the world, you know, showing kind of rural dress specific to their culture and their context. And it was just really amazing, actually. It was like a, you know, the power of digital engagement for museums. And I think just something related to this is one reason why we did that too, is that we saw that lots of people were playing Animal Crossing. So we thought, you know, let's go where our, where our audience is. And and on that very morning, our audience were all on their Animal Crossing islands, um, you know, <laughs> paying back their enormous debt to Tom Nook. So we thought, let's go to them. And, and in some ways, I think that's that's the guiding spirit behind 
why the two museums use social media. It's not we're doing social media because there's a voice in the back of our head that says post tweets. It's because our audience is there. And, you know, rather than getting people into the museum, let's take the museum to them. Let's, you know, meet them on their terms a little bit more. And I think that's something that's really important. And it was actually, you know, extremely practically essential during the pandemic when people couldn't even come into museums. So, you know, moving museums online on social media was just a massive thing. Mm. But to have that spark of sort of genius, uh, what was a very, very traumatic um, anxiety inducing time and to, to jump on the back of it and make it work so spectacularly. Um, I think it's very rare in um, certainly in a, a museum role that you would have to have that wider knowledge of the wider world at all times. And, you know, Twitter, everyone has exactly the same output in that you can only do 280 characters and you can you know like that's really interesting to make it dynamic and work in a museum context is is a really is really challenging i think it's also um like i'm talking about twitter a lot we we do instagram and facebook too but i think what you've just alluded to is so important with twitter which is the fact that um on twitter every the, the timeline everyone's tweets are you know lined up in this stack alongside each other there is no real hierarchy you know it's not like the White House's tweets are put on a different platform to, you know, mine, my yeah, personal yeah, account, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is this amazing, um, amazing contrast and also just lack of contrast on the platform of what people are posting. So, yeah, it does. It, you do have to be able to read this enormous room and and sometimes make decisions. You know, today we're not going to post something funny. But at the start of the pandemic, it really was, you know, the, the function of the museum was to help people out in a in a really bad time and um yeah it, it was quite challenging i um i think and also your mate barry's just started up again um <laughs> he's a good man barry <laughs> he loves banging that thing yeah um, but let's ignore him yeah let's fine. just power through yeah. yeah his name might not be barry actually and he... wouldn't it be amazing if it was by the way the other day i went to um barry Oki, which is barry from eastenders doing karaoke and it was the best thing ever well, that's karaoke outside now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. So, leading on, I guess from that is what you were saying about Animal Crossing. That is such a skill to have to be able to quickly like react to something that's happening and be able to kind of like use it to or adapt it to link to the museum strategy. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's something that you guys are so good at. Um, and so quick to do how do you stay so relevant like how do you how do you where where does that come from yeah it's a really good question um i think like the 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 world is always the world is always changing what people are interested in is always changing and in that changing world it has to follow that so does the 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 role of museums and where museums sit within it and so i think what we're doing on social media is seeing where people are and thinking in this quite strategic sometimes quite like mischievous way like how can we bring our museum into this? You know, so with Animal Crossing, for example, that opened a, a very surprising opportunity to talk about our smock collection. But in the past, that's definitely been a thing of thinking, you know, what's in the news? How can we, in a way that sometimes is very tongue in cheek, but also often does have more significance. So I think something quite striking, especially with the collection of the Museum of English Rural Life, as the name implies, is it is a very niche collection but it relates to very non-niche and very important things. So like huge parts of the collection related to food, for example. So I think social media really is just a, a tool of, of demonstrating and building on the relevance of the collections and doing that in a way that is much more relevant to where people are at day by day. Um, I would say that this has had to change quite dramatically during the pandemic because um, we've gone through... I, dare I say we have gone through an unprecedented time um, where there has yeah. simply been just there's been very little to actually relate to in terms of relevance so you know the news for a very long time has been there is a pandemic and people don't want to hear more about that so we took a kind of slightly different approach which is the stories of our collection are interesting and varied and how can we demonstrate those through more creative ways than you know simply well we couldn't say come into the museum and see them for yourself because the museum wasn't open so we had to think about like storytelling and creative devices and and just you know ways of expressing things much more interestingly so that we could so that we could fit them into social media really and not just feel kind of weird or patronizing you know coming in with some like i don't know i'm trying to think of an example of it and i'm not 
sure I can be, oh, here's a good one. So um, my first, my, if I do say so myself, <laughs> my, um, so I I've obviously took Christmas off 20, Christmas 2020, but our first tweet back after Christmas was just OK Broomer. I love Back that in one. the OK Broomer days. Yeah, and then I just used that as a chance to talk about brooms for a little while. And it's just that kind of thing, like finding like a kind of creative way of introducing a part from our collection and then building upon it. And yeah, I think that's been our guiding principle and never assuming that people are automatically interested in our content yeah. um, or in our collections. I think instead, you know, we've thought like, how can we, how can we demonstrate why they could be interested? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think lead with the curiosity that we would like from them, I think has been a big part of our like ongoing success. That's really interesting that you say that. I think that's such a good takeaway that I think all museums especially should should be thinking about with social media and with not even just social media actually just with their content generally and the exhibitions they put on and and everything visitor facing it's just to be like it's just to assume almost that people don't care so how do you make them care like why should people care about this because sometimes I think museums fall into the trap of assuming that people do um and taking for granted the fact that they will they will automatically be engaged and automatically like understand what is going on there is an age-old adage actually related to this I think it was um Ovid or Homer but he said never assume because you make an ass out of you and me (laughs) yes god I don't think it was Homer But yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Also, adage is a really good word. Adage is a great word, isn't it? Is that creative writing? Is it adage? I don't know how you say it. (laughs) Garden, garden, adage, adage. Um, Did you just pronounce garden two different ways, but they sounded the same? Garden and... Oh yeah, garden you can't do, can you? It's grass and grass. Cinema and cinema. Garage. Garage. (laughs) I find caravan. A lot of people in Yorkshire call it a caravan. And they accentuate the van. And I don't get we it. We do baguette, don't we? Baguette. I say baguette, but you say baguette. 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 Yeah. Baguette. Baguette. It's got more... Bag for life. Garage <laughs> <laughs> uh, No, it, You said garden. Garden. I was thinking I'm getting confused. <laughs> like, like garden. Podcast pressure. Podcast garden pressure. and garden. Yeah, garden. Serious. Garden. What were, you, what were you asking? What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just saying that museums shouldn't assume. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Joe, what do you think is the hardest thing about your job? The hardest part is is the fact that when you work in social media, it, you have to be creative in a very well. You say you have to to do well. You have to do. You have to be creative in what is a very turbulent and tricky sphere. Really, um, you know, it, it's engagement, but you're also um, absorbing everything that people are going through. And in the world today, that is an awful lot, and um, it is tricky to to be creative and sustain that in a difficult and turbulent environment so yeah i think trying to think up strategies and stuff for ways of coping with it is really important and also more than anything just making sure you've got the support from your organization that that they're aware that kind of intensive social media does have that problem that it isn't all just kind of like silly fun posting and things that there is actually quite a lot of responsibility especially as i I think i know this from talking to other social media managers that in many ways you you don't necessarily fall into the role of it but you are like the interface between the museum and the world as it changes and often that requires having to respond to quite tricky problems yeah Um, yeah we were talking we were talking a bit earlier like about you know being on on twitter especially and seeing things that perhaps you would choose not to see or you know you can't take a break from certain news stories if if part of your your work and your job is to to be online and in the spaces where those things are being talked about yeah I definitely agree with that, that I, I think the um I think the platforms I mean Facebook and Instagram have kind of done this with creator studio which I do use a lot for mm-hmm. posting I mean Facebook and Instagram are different anyway because on there like the things you're at risk of seeing are like your old friend from school is getting married or like (laughs) someone's dog is saying something funny again. Well, I don't know, in a cap, I don't know, whatever. But on Twitter, it is a lot more like, you know, one minute you'll have a joke, the next tweet will be about kind of... Politically charged. Yeah, it's really politically charged. Yeah. Um, But but then again, that's where people people are and, you know, we want to try and reach them. So Mm. it makes sense to be posting there and... But yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, really, really love the work the museums do on Twitter and, and I do too. So it, it, that, that, that is the difficulty though, managing that kind of, just how much is going on on the internet, basically. Mm-hmm. That's the difficulty for anyone who works on it. Do you feel like that 
puts a shelf life on working in social media? It's difficult to say, really, because I think social media is... It, I mean, I know it's been around for like quite a while now, but I don't necessarily feel like the remit of my job is just social media manager. I think it's part of like a wider a wider role, which is about engaging people through digital content. I mean, who knows what the future of social media will be really someone asked us once that we had like uh we did a little lecture at the uni of leeds and um this woman was like what do you think the future of social media is and i was like god damn it how annoying I yeah i was like I, I have no idea yeah, yeah 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 but that also i think with that question i get a little bit frustrated that that's kind of an acceptable thing to ask in terms of it isn't throw away and why should I, you know, it's a constant justification of working in a definitely, digital environment. Yeah. And and that's not fair because that's, you know, no one would ask, all oh, right, so when a museum's dying out, you, don't, you, you wouldn't ask that, would you? So what, what difference does it make? Yeah, um, I can see it's very patronising. I think I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, people think social media managers are either interns or, you know, full teams or whatever and... I think there is just this, this, there is just this sense that it, it's so, it's like intangible and like social media is just like a phase, but it's been mm. a phase for a long time. Mm. It's been a phase that has been like a guiding pivotal thing in people's lives. So it's a phase that um, affords people billion dollar houses around. Exactly. World, I so. wish I had one. Yeah. Um, imagine, yeah. you know, it's not, it isn't a passing pattern. I think it's, um, I think it's an essential part of the internet now anyway, and whatever, I think so, you know, it's anything that you're engaging with and that, also, and I think definitely more so uh, for the pandemic and for our website, you know, it was it was about the website also becoming a social, almost a social media platform in that we were like, we want people to engage with it. We don't want people to just come, look, find the information, go again. It was like, we want people to do stuff here and to have a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, social media is like, is a reflection of society. So the question of what what's next for it and where social media social media is going is like saying how is society going to develop the way exactly. they interact with each other it's like god exactly. i have no idea but, um but yeah just on like the shelf life of social media managers um it's it's just really interesting I, I generally don't know but i think that because like the world and culture keeps changing there will always be ways to connect like your collections and you know the life of your museum to you know the world around you so there will always be things to do i don't think it's a role where you know you come in you kind of exhaust all your options or you, you kind of exhaust all of the kind of the posts you can make or the the jokes you could write and then you move on. I think, I think there is kind of, you know, massive long-term future for social media managers. Yeah. It grows and develops, doesn't it? And like, yeah. I've said, like I've said this before, like with people in museums or really in any job that are quite hesitant towards social media and perhaps don't see it as part of their roles. It's like, a curator for example is someone who like give talks to people um as part of their role and it's like they don't still do that by candlelight do you know what i mean like they, <laughs> yeah. they've 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 developed that role it would be cool if they did though God, it would wouldn't it but they <laughs> have... safety in museums <laughs> so, yeah safety in museums <laughs> yeah. collections care great bloody one listed buildings yeah. Yeah. chuck yeah. a candle in there but yeah. i guess what my, the point is that like being a social media manager might not be a job forever but it will have developed into something else and it and yeah i I completely agree i think i think digital engagement as a thing is is going to be here to stay for a while whether that's on social media i don't know yeah um i don't know so social media is a platform and a tool that we can use to like achieve our goal of sharing our collections with people and you know if if other platforms emerged like or other ways of doing it that, that didn't meet the traditional like parameters of social media then we would do that too just within that kind of digital engagement role i guess i also think and you didn't give yourself any credit for this but i also think that's another skill for people doing your job is to have that realistic worldview of um this isn't the be all and end all and it's actually fine if things change and i kind of expect them to when i want them to because i want to keep growing and expanding and changing what i'm doing in order to remain relevant and and it's having that um, kind of quite pragmatic view about it, I think is really important. Yeah. The word relevant is, is, is a really interesting loaded word, I think, because mm. definitely like, so one of the things I read when I got into museums was um, the book, The Art of Relevance by Nina Simon, which is an absolutely amazing book about ways that museums can engage audiences. And I think I kind of took a lot from that in, in the value of social media, like how social media could be could be relevant to people but the thing i'm wary of is like relevance at all costs where and especially when people measure relevance as like social media success yeah um if you're not careful you get into kind of tricky territory where people like play the game too much i feel to like get likes and get retweets and things like that and 
I mean, I guess that's just one way of measuring relevance or demonstrating it is through social media statistics. And social media is unusual in the statistics, the statistics it gives you. You know, so many other parts of life don't tell you like how many people have seen your poster or, yeah. you know, like gone through your door. But like being mindful of what you're being relevant for and what, what you're being relevant to, I think yeah, is yeah. Really, a really important thing. Yeah. Sorry, that was a difficult point to make. No. But like um, <laughs> no, you made it very well. No, but it make, it's exactly the same as um, or it's, I'd say it was on a par with, you know, physical visitors through the door. You can count them. You know, but actually, if only five people came in, but you had a really great conversation with them and they really got it and they went away and it, you know, made their day better or they learned something, is that better? I mean, I would argue that it was like that's kind of. I think so, massively. Yeah. 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 And then, and then that, like you say, that's the dangerous territory with anything that's digital that's you can count against it. Like, well, that's fine. A hundred people saw it. Yeah, exactly. Look how relevant we are. If if there's been no like meaningful engagement. Yeah, this is it. Like we were saying earlier, like. Like in the pursuit of relevance, sometimes the word and the definition of engagement gets diluted and yeah. it's seen purely in relation to what it means in terms of statistics rather than that the word engagement means like actually how people are perceiving and interacting with you and the ways that they're doing that and how deeply that they're doing that as people Definitely. rather than just as accounts. So I, I think a lot about... Um, I don't, I'm sure I've said this to people, but the, the, the perils of seeing museums as places like Buzzfeed, you know, yeah. where Buzz, I'm even with relevance, I'm reminded of, you know, people saying, wow, this is, this feels so relevant, like crying while laughing face. And you, you want to like, you want to make sure your work is relevant, but also you want to make sure your work is relevant. You don't want to just be like engaging people for the sake of it. And I think that, that, that is a, it's a really slippery and dangerous slope when people just start doing social media for the sake of social media performance only. And there have been like examples more recently of just, I don't know, I feel like of accounts doing that. What accounts do you think are, or do you think are the best ones? Which ones do you like? They don't have to be museum accounts. Yeah. You sent me a really okay. good one the other day. Yeah, I did. I did. So, so the account I sent to Meg the other day was the, um, was the Teletubbies Twitter account, which is extremely good. Um, and it's one that was not on my radar before, but I'm very glad it is now. Yeah, just extremely strong, extremely imaginative, and I think extremely successful too, because quite clearly they've worked out that if you're promoting Teletubbies, you are not going to do social media content for a target audience of five-year-olds because they are not on social media. (laughs) Instead, you're going to do it for their mums and dads and their parents and their guardians because, you know, they are on social media. So if you do a funny tweet of like, I don't know, Tinky Winky with Ariana Grande's hair, like replicating <laughs> one of her cover albums, like that's going to hit a, hit a market or an audience, you know? Um, so yeah, I think, I think they're excellent, but um, yeah, I do have like a few particular favorites, which have been like long time crushes. So in general, I'm like kind of for the same reasons I said earlier, I feel a bit skeptical about branded social media um, other than obviously Teletubbies um, in general, my all time favorite brand by like, there's like no close competition is Moon Pie, the American like cookie brand who have just made like strangeness their territory and have just done it so long for so well. And I don't know, I think, I think they're just the best example on social media of just like incredible copywriting. It's just so weird and just, yeah, I've never had a Moon Pie, but, and I probably can't have one cause um, I don't eat dairy, but, um, <laughs> but if I could, I would. But yeah, they're, they're like one of my favorites. And then another one is the US National Parks who just have like extremely special social media, you know, like these amazing photographs from the life of their parks with just like really funny captions. And yeah, it just makes me want to go to a national park yeah. right after this. Yeah, we should, we should go. We should, yeah. Get out of Reading. Get out of Reading. I'll go back yeah. to Leeds, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Joe, some quick fire questions. Yeah. What's your favorite museum? This is actually a very difficult question because um, like I've been to a lot of museums, but I wanted to go to a lot more when I started this job. Mm. And uh, there's been a big old pandemic, hasn't there? Yeah, big old <laughs> So it's been, a, in some ways, it was a strange time to join the sector. But um, one of my favorite museum experiences was when I, I went to a museum in Croatia in Zadar. I think it was the Museum of like Zadar, like natural history or something. But they just had so like um, so many amazing ex- exhibits about um, Zadar's Roman history, and I was just really surprised and awed in like incredible English and stuff like that. And it's a very niche example, and it's definitely not like the kind of like obvious, possibly an obvious example, but it really just made me aware of like the imaginative power of museums and like 
taking things that you might never have thought of and just giving an extremely like evocative image of it. Like, you know, I, I feel like I learned an awful lot about the city in like two hours in that museum. Yeah, I love museums. Great answer. Thank you. Croatia. Zadar has some good museums, actually. There's yeah. a museum of Roman glass. Like we went, it's like three floors. So the, the Zadar Museum of Roman glass and the first gallery we went in, just amazing, just lit up with different colours of glass. And we were like, oh my God, there is so much cool glass here. <laughs> like, this is incredible. So much glass. Oh my God. Like, my heart is just like pounding, like glass. Jesus Christ. I didn't realise I loved glass. Yeah, so I didn't realise I loved glass so much. Anyway, the next room we go into, glass everywhere. So much glass yet again. And I was like, Jesus Christ, they were not lying. There is so much Roman glass in this place. I cannot believe the Romans made so much blooming glass. Anyway, next gallery glass <laughs> you go up to the top floor and someone making glass and he could even have been a roman for all i know the last roman alive making glass in the glass museum but um it really was a museum of glass and it was roman glass in zadar i'm sorry david that's saying in the podcast you couldn't make it up but i tell you it was an amazing it was an amazing museum so i went to that museum um but also something that really stayed with me from the the roman glass museum of zadar <laughs> Let me tell you, they had this incredible glass um, banister. <laughs> Why did glass be so funny? It's a very funny word, glass. Um, and this is what I was saying earlier. I think as someone from the Midlands, I'm, I'm able to yeah, switch. I'm able to switch between, uh, between Northern and Southern. Uh, like I've got my mum's family are from, um, from Lancaster and my dad's from Essex. So I also have like... Yeah. I feel like I have like a birthright of switching between these two. I'm not just some like pretender, but um, yeah, glass anyway. So um, <laughs> like they had this amazing staircase with with glass, and the problem was that the glass had broken, hadn't it? So they had a sign saying, <laughs> a sign saying, "Careful, broken glass." And it was just something about that. I was like, that is a very powerful museum exhibit. Like, this has not just been a staircase to floor three of the Glass Museum. This has been a staircase to discovery. <laughs> oh, God, oh, I love man. it so much. My face yeah. hurts. Yeah. Fantastic. Not as much as that glass staircase hurt when it got <laughs> smashed up by some petulant Roman child, probably. Oh, God. But yeah, Zadar's um, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, I'll go. All right. Um, you should go, yeah. Yeah. Has a sea organ as well. <laughs> I'm not even joking. A sea organ. It has What's a sea that? organ. What's right. That? So my, my the tourism borders. Zadar, I'm deeply I'm secretly a, a Croatian deep cover agent. <laughs> my name is actually Joe Vordovich. Um, <laughs> um But uh yeah, no, they um so alongside the glass museum they have this uh, they have they have they have a sea organ and my my dad went to Zadar. Um, a sea organ. It's called a sea organ. Yeah, it's a sea organ. So my dad went to Zadar on holiday and um, when I said to him, or he went on like a, uh, like a, I think they went to like a few cities in Croatia basically. And um, I said to him like, what was good about Zadar? Like, what would you recommend? And he said, oh, they've got a sea organ. And I was like, oh, okay, what's that? And it is, it's an organ that is powered by the sea <laughs> where there's a wave comes in and it goes, Brr. and then like another wave comes in and it goes like, Brr. <laughs> it's actually very haunting. It reminds me, you know, the, the, the deep, ancient voice of the sea speaking to me one strange growly at a time oh my god yeah so there's a lot going on wow, a lot going on no. actually wow. do you reckon we could get a trip there well we should well you should go to if you're going to go to any museum in Zadar do your podcast yeah well I think you should go no please enlighten no, us no I'm going to let you guess <laughs> Zadar City Museum <laughs> about the about the public history of the city of Zadar yeah absolutely we did all the museums in Zadar that morning <laughs> Let me tell you, none left its mark on me like the, the Zadar Museum of Roman Glass. That really did. God, that's brought back a lot of memories. Oh, God. Oh, God we should have started with that one. I feel so much more like talking to him, hasn't it? Oh, God. Oh, that hurt. Okay, fine. One last quick fire question, Joe. Yep. What's your favourite museum thing? So, like, mine, I like shipwrecks. Adam, your predecessor, I know, likes wagons. What's yours? Adam absolutely loves wagons, actually. Yeah, that's come up quite a lot. Yeah, definitely. He's yeah. a big wagon man. I think they used to call him Wagon Man, actually. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I think they did. Um, I, That's a cool nickname, though, too. It is. Yeah, like wagon, wagon Man. Man. One thing I really, really love is um, like medieval manuscripts. Um, I thought you were going to say glass. Glass. Well, let, oh, don't give me style on that. 
no, illuminated manuscripts are less. I, I just think it's amazing the kind of, I don't know, that in telling these stories, the, the kind of creative power that these people, that these kind of monks brought to the pages is just extremely moving. Um, they had a lot of time. They did have a lot of time. I, you know, I love like the, mis- the mischief and the, the kind of creativity. And at Ready Museum, we have a, a, a full size replica of the Bayer Tapestry. And that's, I think, just an incredibly special. I mean, it's Victorian. It was made by like a group of um, embroiderers in the 1890s. And I don't know, I think that same spirit of, of medieval manuscripts really carries through into that object. And something I love about something I love about that, especially, is that the embroiderers each added their names to the segments that they did. So it feels like an extremely personal object. I actually have a very funny story about this object. Hit me. Okay. So, <laughs> so um, one of the main differences between our replica Bayer tapestry, I also don't know if I can say, if I say Bayer, right? Bayer, Bayou, I'm not Norman. I'm Joe. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just Joe. Um, but, uh, yeah, not, not a Norman, not a Roman, not a Croatian, um, not glass. Yeah. So in the original Bayer tapestry, um, loads of the characters are naked. They're not wearing any trousers. And, I don't think that's historically accurate, um, but I wouldn't know. I wasn't there and I'm not going to assume anything. Um, but uh, in our version, a lot of the people are wearing trousers. Now, there was some some talk that this was to do with the prudishness of the Victorian embroiderers, you know, that they were kind of, they were basing it on photographs taken by v archivists. You know, there was a lot of talk that um, the kind of women embroiderers had added trousers, you know, put, put it away, lads, um, to these sort of Norman knights. <laughs> But then it, it turned out that actually the people who added the trousers were the V&A archivists. It wasn't the embroiderers. So trousers had been sketched on by the V&A staff. And something that's really funny is that they, they actually missed a few naked men in their photographs that they were sketching on. And those details made it through into our version. So clearly the embroiderers were just basing it on what they saw. And when, you know, when there was a naked body they they put it in so yeah i remember you taking me through the story last time i was here it's really cool actually i would recommend coming to both both museums yeah and they're free joe at the end of every episode we ask our guests the same three questions the first question is what's been your favorite day at work today (laughs) (laughs) correct no um one of my like favorite moments at work actually has been i mean i'm i'm lucky working for two museums that are both very supportive actually but in the Museum of English for a Life, there was a tradition of having a coffee time every day at 11 o'clock where people would kind of convene in the staff room and just have a coffee and, you know, a biscuit or whatever. And uh, we're actually recording this in a room that used to be the staff room. So we are carrying that on um, as we eat crisp today. But um, throughout the pandemic, we, especially at the start of the pandemic, we had like an online coffee time every day, which was just like 11 o'clock. People would just hop on for half an hour and just like chat about whatever whether it was just the sort of like perilous loneliness of the pandemic or just the kind of the, the kind of giddiness of chatting to other people combined. But there were a few of those times where it was just absolutely hilarious what people were talking about. And um, I can't even go into describing it because it's just too deranged. But um, <laughs> that's been like my favorite thing. I don't know about a favorite day. I, I kind of struggle to even keep track of days anymore. <laughs> they all blend into one um the last question is our twofold question you kind of already answered this earlier but you can have another crack at it if you want so um like an egg yeah sure so from everything we've talked about today what's the big takeaway for our listeners about what you do and by natural extension what is your literal actual favorite takeaway oh easy my favorite takeaway is kung fu kitchen which is up the road from the mill amazing chinese food amazing vegan Chinese food as well which is is not as common um so shout out to Joanna and her family because it's a really special cool place um (laughs) but yeah my I think the biggest takeaway from today is one there's a lot of glass in the glass museum (laughs) uh two think of social media as a as a tool for complementing the work of your museum and not something that you have to master for its own sake I actually think by doing that you remove a lot of the pressure from social media too because you know, there's this whole sense of like, how can I be good at social media? Like, how how do I, you know, how do I improve? And, and actually the answer to that question is, you know, don't worry about it too much. Just worry about, worry is the wrong word, but just focus on, um, you know, being creative, sharing your collections um, in interesting ways that take your audience into account. And this is a hard, harder one, but I was going to say try and have fun with it. But obviously there are collections that like, that's not appropriate for. So 
try and think about the potential for digital technology to engage new audiences and build on that in a way that's you know specific in tone and, and informed to your organization I think that's what I'd say and do it with like a spirit of um I don't know like curiosity about what might come out of it as well because you never know and I think that's we're definitely a, a case in point here like you never know what what could come out of a few a few tweets yeah, yeah. fabulous I use an easel from here for my wedding oopsie have I ever told you about the time that I did <laughs> I told you later that I love you in fact do you know what I'll save that for the next episode okie doke easel talk <laughs> I think, all things considered, firstly, that was the most delirious episode that we've ever filmed. Oh, yeah. I, I'd Filmed? Slept, <laughs> recorded. I, I'd slept for, like, five hours. We were both, like, riddled with anxiety from, like, our, our trip that we did. Extremely hot. Yeah. There was just lots going on. But we did ultimately have, like, the best time, didn't we? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It was, um, it was really lovely, and Joe made us feel really welcome, and it was great. Yeah. And everyone, actually, everyone at the Merle is so lovely. Angela. Oh. Anyway, what was your favourite part of that episode? Glass. Yeah, that was mine as well. Sorry, I know, I know we were talking we're about lots of... the same one. Yeah, we're going to... But it was absolutely hilarious because no one said the word glass so many times that it becomes nonsensical. Also, I edited so much. I had to edit so much of that down because <laughs> so much of it was just us all just like crying. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And like doing really ugly crying, you know, like Kim Kardashian crying. Yeah, yeah. That's what I love about Joe. Like, he's such a funny person, but in mm. such a beautifully, like, creative writing sort of way like he yeah. can make he's just such a wordsmith isn't he yeah yeah I actually love Joe yeah <laughs> that's your that's your favourite thing of the episode you just love Joe I know I just feel like he's no I just think he's a really lovely person I'm really glad that I know him mm-hmm. enough of that <laughs> enough about enough that of, enough about all that emotional stuff what do we do what do we do now <laughs> that's a very grand gesture I literally gesture. just like flung my hand at Sarah what do we do now what do we say I've been informed that I need to tell you to subscribe if you want to Cleves a review um, that would be really great. We've had a couple of recent really nice reviews, actually. Yeah. Also, by the way, if you're in America, because I think about 10% of our listeners are in America. Wow. Yeah. If you're in America, can you firstly invite us over? <laughs> and secondly, just let us know. I'd just like to know more about you. Yeah. That would be excellent. Yeah. Drop us a message. If you want to drop us a message, actually, you can do at Leeds Museums on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm at Museum Meg and you're Sarah L. Merritt. Yes. And then... Thanks to Al Finney, who did our cover artwork, and to Timmy Bentley, who did our theme tune for us. I think that's it. See you in episode two, then. (laughs) See you there. Bye.